Welcome to Democracy in Color with Steve Phillips, a color conscious podcast about politics. I'm your host, Steve Phillips, and it's hard to believe that we are in July of 2021, meaning the year is more than halfway over, uh, which is, I guess is something that every old person says. And uh, really, you know, judging by my uh, Facebook feed, the number of photos of people in, you know, different fancy locales with lots of water in the background, the bounce back messages I'm getting and the difficulty scheduling meetings, it seems that summer is happening. We have as a certainly as a country, a society, a planet really earned it, having weathered the four years of near fascism and the attempted coup of this country and then global pandemic. And so the reality of people taking this time and really embracing summer and having this time off is that things are better. And so we wanted to have this episode in that spirit. And so things are better, certainly both politically as well as, uh, you know, scientifically pandemic wise, not perfect. And I think that's something we can discuss in future episodes that there's kind of a wholesale like, okay, we're completely through the pandemic and we are not, but things are dramatically, dramatically better in all qualitative and quantitative ways than they certainly were a year ago this time. And then obviously politically, we are not living under white nationalist fascism, which was where we were teetering on the brink of back in January. So sure, we've earned some vacation time and earned some time off. And so we want to have this episode be a little different. And so this episode, we're going to share what each of us is doing. In terms of what we're reading, what we're watching, how we're unwinding, and hopefully that'll be helpful for all of you as you embrace this whole summer moment of uh, what we're having right now. For that conversation, I'm joined as always uh, by my co-host Charlene Chang, and we also have the very exciting debut appearance of a person who's behind the scenes oftentimes for most of these episodes and behind many of the words that the pod puts out into the world. And that's our staff writer, Folo Odifade, who is also joining us to talk about what she's reading and watching and to also provide some generational balance to the content that will be shared so that you don't only get old folks wrecks like Murder, She Wrote in Columbo which were not in my thing, but I may or may not have actually been watching those shows. So hi, Charlene. Hi, Fola. How are you guys doing? Is it really summer? And how are you guys uh, holding up? Hey, Steve. I think it's really summer, even though I shouldn't complain with the Bay Area. It has had a, a, an unusually cool, or maybe not unusually cool, but much cooler couple of weeks here than definitely the rest of the Northwest. And so we're, we're grateful for that. And I am so excited to have Fola on today. Hi, Fola. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Fola, I just think of her as the beautiful wizard behind the curtain, beautiful and brilliant. And just all things, if any of us ever, you know, sound good in pod or newsletters or anything written, you know, our social media, it is um, much, much thanks to the brilliant Fola. And I can't wait to get to chat with her more today. And yes, Steve, I was just listening to you say all the things that we just went through, say, over the past few years, let's say four years. And it was like I was getting PTSD, like my, you know, <laughs> the hairs on my arms were like standing up. And it's amazing how much we kind of kind of forget where it's actually good, like adaptive, probably survival mode of the human brain, because yeah. if we went around thinking about it every day, then we would never be able to let go. And we would just kind of continue to hold on to that that particular stress. But once you brought it back, it was like, wow, it really was just a crazy time. And that was when we had started the pod. And so thinking about if you really like start to put it all on one page, it's 
global pandemic. And then there was the, you know, um, the really intense, you know, series of police brutality against black bodies and lives and which, you know, brought about largest wave of protests globally against uh, systematic anti-black racism. And then we had everything involved with our prior occupant of the White House and just having those many days where we thought this may this may be another four years. And just to remind ourselves how close it came to yeah. having another yeah. four years under that. Well, or four or 40, right? They tried to just yeah. throw, out, throw out elections entirely, which is the definition of fascism. But Yeah. And, and just to remind ourselves that we did have so many great wins that, yes, we did. We went, won the 2020 presidential election, no matter what anybody says. And much thanks to many people, but especially those in Georgia and Arizona, that we got the two Senate seats. I hold on to that great memory of the day that happened. And even though our celebration is short-lived because the insurrection happened yeah, right, right after day, that. Which was so symbolic <laughs> like, and not, right? Why we you know, can't have nice things. But I don't. I do will not forget how exciting both staying up super late to flip Georgia for the presidential race and then getting the news that Georgia and the, the two seats in the U.S. Senate had been won by Democrats in Georgia was an exciting time. And yes, and then the vaccines started to onboard more and more people were getting vaccines and there was just more and more light at the end of the tunnel. And like I said, recently I went traveling, you know, just to Southern California, but just getting to see that people are out and about outside of your house and outside of Berkeley. So yeah, out of, travel, outside right? my outside my zip code and seeing you know, people, families, couples enjoying themselves. I know there's sort of like potentially a double-edged sword to it, but in general, also I am a believer of people need to get out for their mental health and mental health is health. So seeing people be happy and joy, being with friends and family has just been really uplifting. Mm -hmm. And um, that's it. I just, yeah, I definitely have been overall having a more positive 2021. I think the bar was pretty low for last year for me personally. I know for a lot of people. But I am just really glad to be in this summer and be able to enjoy things that we normally more or less some more things more like what we usually do for the summer. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the best thing for me so far this year has been the chance to just see some of my family again um, after more than a year. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they're all in New Jersey. So um, it's New Jersey. I can't believe like I always forget we're both you know from Jersey. quote unquote Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, my sister, she's spending a couple of weeks with us here in Charlotte. This is actually her last week. Um, so it's just been really nice to be with family. Um, we grilled over the weekend and uh, spent some time in the park yesterday. So I'm just really glad to be outside and, you know, still being cautious. But uh, it does feel like, like uh, I think Steve might have said or Charlene, that there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel. So do you guys ever hit up the Jersey Shore? We, I only went to the Jersey Shore once, and that was after prom, oh. and I never went back. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where I grew up, more or less. You ever see these, uh, in terms of grilling over the weekend, these memes about um, like instructions for white people if they're going to come to a black bar- barbecue? Or, yeah, that's or so hilarious. So. so hilarious. What is it? Like, who, who gets to bring the... The macaroni salad? Yeah, I'm going to get it whole, wrong. We should, right? we should put it in the show links. There's a whole kind of code, right? That mm-hmm. is very yeah. culturally authentic and whatnot. So. so, well, great. So let's let's share and talk with like what we're each doing um, in this 
moment where we have a chance to breathe and rest and, and you know, recharge. Okay, and kind of like, what are we watching? What are we reading? Um, why don't we share some of that? Okay. So first of all, my daughter got really into watching um, everything related to 101 Dalmatians. And it's just, just a whole um, generational collection. Yeah, because the cartoon itself is quite old. Uh, it's from like the late 1960s, the original Disney animation. Um, which is fantastic. And then there's a version with Glenn Close, who's fantastic as Cruella, that I think was in the um, uh, the early 2000s. Or oh, no, right. late, the original late... one was 1961. I just looked at that. Oh, oh, yeah. So 1961 is the one that's, uh, you know, many of us, you know, who yes. were, we were, I wasn't around, but I saw mm-hmm. it in the 70s. So it was new-ish. And then lately, so we're gearing up to see the new Cruella on Disney mm-hmm. with, I believe, Emma, Emma Stone as a, it's like the Basque story of Cruella. So that's been really fun and, and kind of interesting. You know, I have certain things to say about Disney and but I will say that a lot of their stuff is is there's a lot of merit to like the art and also just to see the arc of that take on that particular story through literally like, you know, one, two or three generations. So I've been watching that and having fun. And oh, I've I've um highly plug this to our entire team, entire team. And if you guys haven't checked it out yet, I love and want to plug High on the Hog, which is a Netflix series. And it's about the history of African-American food. And it's not just because a very good dear friend of mine, Shoshana Guy, is the showrunner and she and her team have done just this amazing job. But it is so powerful in how it weaves together the history of basically Black history and food and giving us the journey of Africans to this country through slavery, but also just all the, you know, it it doesn't shy away from taking on the hard, darker topics of slavery, but also all the joy that was happening even when um, slaves were here, you know, that they were, that one of their big enjoyments was cooking together and, and how they were, you know, melding together African cooking traditions with food that they were also, you know, ingredients that they were learning here, recipes that they were coming up with um, that are now the staples of American cuisine that we all think, of, you know, things like mac and cheese and barbecue that all came, were heavily influenced from uh, the African cooking traditions. So highly recommend checking that out. Don't watch it hungry. <laughs> I watch it with my family each time. And even if we've just had dinner, everybody's like, oh my God, I have to have something to eat in front of me because my mouth is watering. Um, there's just amazing dishes that are presented in there too. And another show that I've also been raving about that I'm kind of late to the game, but I still really um, have been appreciating so much is Pose, which I think, Fola, you're one of the people who was really like, you guys have to check it out. Yeah, it's excellent. It's interesting that they high on the hog in it, that it's about Black culture, right? There's a fairly famous segment of a Malcolm X speech where he's talking about field Negroes and house Negroes. And he talks about this whole high on the hog thing about that. He says about how the, you know, field Negroes eat, they ate high on the hog. Field Negroes didn't, they got what was left over. You call them chitlins today. Back then they called them guts, right? And yeah. So and I said, I, I've said before, don't knock, <laughs> don't knock the chitlins because Asian people, we eat chitlins too. Mm-hmm. So, some of us and it's good stuff. And that's what they talk about in the show is all those leftover parts, which were what, you know, the master, you know, would give them because it was parts that they didn't want. 
the um, the slaves then turned into these like delectable dishes that are now considered some high end bougie dishes in um, in fancy restaurants. And they're delicious. And I, I was talking with a Ghanaian friend. Uh, we were talking about high on the hog. And she was just bringing up in Africa, they eat all parts of the meat. So mm-hmm. it was almost something that it, it wasn't foreign. And even though they were give, being given the leftover parts of the hog, it's not that they didn't know what to do with it because they're, where they were coming from, you, you use everything. I think it's some of the best parts. Give it to you me. sure you're not uh you sure you don't have some some uh, uh melanin that skin and african in your lineage I, there Shirley? i like to so. i like to think that uh you know in my past life mm-hmm. definitely i some sort of deep connection <laughs> we all come from africa originally mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so pola what are you watching to while away the summer here. Yeah. So one show that I'm really excited about, and I think we had it in the newsletter is this new show on stars called the run the world. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be, people are, some people have branded it as the black sex in the city. Others are like, don't compare it. It's its own show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I just love about it is just seeing black people be happy and not so much about it being like traumatic or anything. It's just women living in the city in uh, New York. Some of my friends, they're tired of shows that show young women who have extremely successful lives because they don't feel that that's necessarily the case for them. But um, it's, it's just lighthearted. It's good. It's something to look forward to. I think it comes out on Sunday nights. And so that's something I'm really excited to keep watching through the summer. And one other show, I guess it's actually a movie. I watched it yesterday morning, actually. It's on Hulu. It's called Summer of Soul. And mm-hmm. um, Oh, yeah. That's all yeah. the rage. I've been oh, reading, it, reading all about it. It was really good. I watched it literally when I woke up uh, like 8 a.m. yesterday. I didn't want to get out of bed, but I didn't want to go back to bed. Um, and I kind of felt like I went to church. It was so, it was just Aww. so beautiful and powerful. And I feel like it still speaks to the moment today. Uh, Nina Simone was like just talking. I was just like, everything she's saying is still so relevant. Steve, I'm sure you'll appreciate Jesse Jackson made several appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, clips. Uh, I, I listened to a, a podcast where Questlove talked about putting together the Summer of Soul. And he said he had so much footage. I think the first edit had over four hours. Wow. Um, and they had to cut it down even after wow. that. Wow. Wow. Oh, I can't wait to check it out. I'm, I'm really the, excited. The 1969 yeah. Harlem Cultural Festival. Yeah. No, I was, I was been fortunate to meet when I, in the past, I don't know, several years, been able to spend some time in the Somerset, uh, Martha's Vineyard, which is kind of like the ultimate black bougie getaway. <laughs> so, you said it. <laughs> Um, but I met Charlene Hunter Colt there, who was one of the original, you know, journalists at PBS, kind of a legend journalism. Yeah, she's journal, awesome. Black journalism. So she, I'm for Facebook friends now that she mentioned how honored she had been to be in um, Summer of Soul. So that was a, always very, an interesting connection point there as well. So you can maybe you can timestamp for me the Jesse sections uh, <laughs> so I can uh, go check that out. Oh, Fola, I was going to ask you real quick. Run the world. What, what do you watch that on? It's on stars. I watch it through like my Hulu. Okay, cool. So it was funny. Part we were joking, preparing this about the, uh, you know, having follow, but j- balance us out generationally. So she is. Know, the world, the <laughs> yeah. So then I'm like, oh, so 
the show that I was talking about is Hacks, right? Which is this Jean Smart, this older actress dealing with, you know, her maintaining her career uh, at the other end of the uh, career arc. But show on HBO, and it's actually very, very well done. And then she's kind of paired with this uh, actually new actress who I don't think has been even in television before. She's a stand-up comedian, um, Hannah Einbinder, I believe her name is. And she's like down on her lock and she has to go work for the Gene Smart character. And so it's just very, and it's very, I mean, it's very well done. It's an HBO production, but just in terms of like the challenges that people in this, certainly the entertainment industry, women, people as you age, and then it's just all very well done. And so we're, we're really enjoying watching that. Um, but yeah, it definitely is at the other uh, end of the, of the generational spectrum. And then um, Susan and I are actually really into This Is Us. And so I know that some people, such as our podcast producer, Olivia Parker, <laughs> are rolling their eyes and will hopefully not edit this out of the pod, but that we're really both enjoying it. And I think there's a couple of things about it that I mean, it's funny because we did work late well not late to we actually liked it originally but then it came out right almost like within a month when susan was first diagnosed with cancer and there's like a major cancer storyline in there it was just too intense mm-hmm. and so you know we've gone back to it and we're really enjoying it although that cancer line storyline was very intense but i think a couple of things about it one is um well one of was kind of funny to me because i came of age on the show 30 something and mm-hmm. it's very 30 something like and then seeing that one of the major characters from that, from the actors from that show is one of the, um, Ken Owen is one of the producers. Um, oh, wow. So I was like, oh, there's a logical connection there. I see that through line. There's something about trying to speak to the gestalt of, uh, you know, an era and of a time period, things that people are grappling with. So there's some element of that. And it's got some of the 30-something navel gazing, et cetera. But what's really surprised me about the show is actually how authentic and compelling the African-American uh, storylines, characters, and and scenes are. Uh, you've got, you know, Sterling Brown, who's like this amazing actor. So he kind of pulls all this stuff off. But just the depth of the writing. I actually went back. I was looking it up yesterday. I said, they must have Black writers able to do, do this this well. And they do. They have they particularly emphasized um, having, you know, a critical mass of Black writers in, this, in the writer's room. So that, I think, has been really affirming and then quite pleasantly surprising to see how all that is playing itself out. So that's one of the things that we're really into as well. Can I just say real quickly, you really touched upon something, Steve, which is I'm really excited for what I really do think we're, we're entering a new era of content and platforms that are investing in writers of color, producers and directors of color to create content in that they're recognizing a the browning of America, but also how there used to be this fear that, well, if there is a elite of color, that it will not attract enough white you know, it's just like, it's like politics. I mean, to bring it back to like, we are, you know, political podcast, but to bring it back to sort of, it's almost like the entertainment industry is getting it much faster than say the Democrats are. um, And the, you know, the political arena is in that Hollywood is recognizing uh, the population is browning, is diversifying. And not only do we not lose white viewers when we put together excellent content that is written by people of color and even led by um, actors of color, but we, we get them too, right? That it's just excellent content is excellent content. Good writing is good writing, et cetera. And these are um, these shows and many of the, the shows we just mentioned are getting hugely popular and huge you know, viewership 
uh, winning awards, et cetera. And I, I see this as the trend and it's really, ex it's exciting. Yeah. Well, a little long, long overdue, but definitely. Yes, uh, I know. Yeah. Trend. So, so the other thing about the summer, right. It's supposed to be um, beach reading and beach reads. And so whether or not this was both a literal and metaphorical device, uh, whether we're at the beach or not, then hopefully there is some time to be uh, reading. So Fola, what are you reading? What do you, can you recommend? Yeah, so I'm trying to read as much as possible. I have two books that I'm really excited about digging into. One of them I learned about from another podcast, um, Unlocking Us with Brene Brown. Um, Ashley Ford, she's a writer. She's written, I think, for like the New York Times and Elle magazine. She wrote a memoir about her childhood that uh, was kind of defined by the absence of her dad who was in prison. And she had a very complicated relationship with her mom because of it and outside of that as well. But uh, what I got from the, just from hearing about the book is it, it's really about love and the love that comes from complex family relationships. And it seems like it's just, she just takes a very incisive look. She tells the story from her childhood self. So I'm really excited to read that. And then the other book that I'm excited to read, it's called Who Will Pay Reparations on My Soul by Jesse mm. McCarthy. What a title. I know. I, I picked this one up at the library and I used to go to the library a lot as a kid and I never had anything specific in mind. I just kind of would roam through the aisles and pick things out. And so I try to still keep that, like maybe I'll find some gems. And I, I picked this one up last week. And it just sounds so good. Uh, Jesse McCarthy, he's an assistant professor of English and African-American studies at Harvard. And the book is actually named after a Gil Scott Heron song that came out in the 1970s. And so he talks it, it, about- it, It's not the Gil Scott Heron song, um, Whitey's on the Moon, I take it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Rats um, that bit my sister now <laughs> and Whitey's on the Moon. <laughs> It's the and companion song, companion I song. <laughs> I didn't really know that much about uh, Gil Scott Heron until I realized the name of this book. And I, I do know that one song. And I actually know that because of, uh, what was it? Lovecraft Country. Mm. Um, but mm. now I'm like, I'm really excited to learn more about him as well. Uh, oh, yeah. He was a seminal figure from that time period. Yeah. But the, the book is about, it's a series of essays and he covers a lot of different topics. Um, he talks a lot about black resistance. Uh, and I know Steve, you're saying I'm, I'm here to add a little uh, generational nuance. Um, and from what I read about the book, he's also talking to, I think my generation and people from my generation, but also kind of weaving in that thread of the resistance, the tradition of resistance that's been there all along. He, he has an argument, there's an essay in there about his argument about the B in black. Um, so I'm interested to, to see what mm. he says there. Um, he talks a lot about reparations and how it's larger than just material debt, that there's there's a moral debt that has to be paid politically. And so um, I'm curious to, to to dig into this one and see what he's talking about. That sounds fascinating. I was just thinking about like, what a bunch of wonderful nerds we are. Because <laughs> well, you all are. What do you hear? Uh, what I have to say. Well, yeah, I know you're reading. All, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I know about yeah the stuff you like to read for fun. But you're also doing a lot of heavy reading for your book. So, um, but I'm I don't have anything really li like super light on my summer reading list either because I've just been drawn to some really good meaty stuff. One was just a little bit by chance, which is um, a book that I'm reading is called Be the Refuge, Raising the Voices of Asian American Buddhists. It's by Shinshin Han. 
And the reason why I knew about the book is the publisher invited me to be part of a book talk with her, which will be on July 17th. And it'll be an event co-hosted on Zoom by North Atlantic Books and Nomadic Press. And um, so I invite people to check that out. And the book is generally, it's, it's just really fascinating. She interviewed 89 self-identified Asian American millennials mm. to talk about this divide that I didn't realize how much I have been sort of experienced this divide, and, and, but didn't really consciously think about it until she spent many years writing a book about it. The divide in this country in, in terms of American Buddhism is basically the divide between white dominated sanghas, this, this one, like a white community of Buddhists and then an elderly Asian American immigrant practitioner's community. And so young or Asian American born or westernized, more westernized Asian Americans, you might say somebody like myself is, we don't really have a place or the places are not so easy to identify. And so she put all this together into a book, ties together history and the issues about you know, place and spirituality and the history of Buddhism and the current challenges in one book. So it's really fascinating. I've also been chipping away at 1619. Uh, it's for me, it's been like a fascinating journey through because I have to like read it's again, this is the New York Times project and I have the physical copy, which I don't I know had sold out. So I don't know if it's still available, but it was created by New York Times reporter Nicole Hannah Jones. And I've just chipped away because it's the kind of stuff like each piece I would really want to sit with and digest. It's a magazine. Uh, and I wanted to bring up the fact that, <laughs> you know, we've really covered, you know, the situation that's happened with Nicole Hannah-Jones in that she she's a Pulitzer Prize winner, right? Yeah. Um, and yet Mac her- MacArthur Genius. MacArthur Genius. And she was up for a tenure position at University of North Carolina. And they denied her tenure at first. And with the understanding that there's, you know, again, with all this backlash against right. so-called- Conservative white yeah. donor thought she was too controversial. Right. Because what 1619 does, again, is it centers it's a, it's very much about the history of slavery and African-American history in this country. And but it uses the 1619 year is in recognition of that being the start of our country and that that was the year that um, the first slaves were brought over to the shores of Virginia. So she was first denied tenure and then there was all this backlash. So then they decided to accept her. And then as of today, the news is that she said, no, I'm good because she got accepted. She has a position at Howard. And so I just think it's just just nice poetic justice where she was able to be in that position, do it. She's got so many supporters and she's good. It's unfortunate that she had to go through it, but it was all very, very telling. And so there's that piece that I'm reading that's tied in with today's news. And just a quick plug for a kid's book. That also spans generations. A Wrinkle in Time is the book I'm reading now with my daughter. Even though she can read it by herself, we've been really enjoying reading it in bed together. I read it to her and do all the voices. And again, that's by Madeline Langle. And I just, I love that book. I have such deep memories of it reading around when she was about 10. And uh, even though I'm not a big science fiction or fantasy fan per se, which my daughter is a huge fantasy fan. It is so it is actually kind of political and so brilliantly written that uh, really can satisfy a lot of different readers. I think it can satisfy a lot of adult readers. I was wondering, have you guys ever read that? I have not. No. Oh, <laughs> highly recommend. It's good. Good stuff. So just on the Hannah and Nicole Hannah Jones piece, we should put in because she actually issued a very powerful statement. So we should link to that in the in the show notes. Just looking at part of her statements is, is, I also get to decide what battles I continue to fight. And I've decided instead of fighting to prove I belong at institution, 
that until 1955 prohibited Black Americans from attending, I am instead going to work in the legacy of a university not built by the enslaved, but for those who once were. Wow. I think she goes on from that. So that's an amazing piece. So you all are far more serious, (laughs) political, down for the cause than me. So in the reading front, um, I mean, Susan raised this point. She used this word spaciousness. This is like two or three years ago. You need a certain amount of spaciousness to be able to read, certainly for me to be able to read fiction. And and that was like three years ago. So I've only had the ability to read. I'm looking at my bookshelf uh, next to my bed. And all that is there is a series of books by James Patterson that are in sequentials, the kind of women's uh, murder club. And it's like the, the numbers in the title, like 21st birthday or 20th person, et cetera. And so it's up to 21. And I've read all of them. And I think part of it is that the chapters are super short. And so they're like three pages a chapter in terms of being able to squeeze out some time and just being able to read that. And then it's people that you're familiar with. And, and for me, it's set in San Francisco with a lot of very oh, accurate, wow. yes, it's very fun. accurate details. Very, very fun. So I enjoy that as well. So it's, it's, Steve, is this um, now a show? Isn't there a show now? I think there was a short show, but I don't think it lasted very long. Oh, um, and okay. I never really engaged with it very much. So at any rate, if you want something short and mm. not taxing um, and also political. <laughs> uh, I can uh, recommend that. All right. That's great. So I'm really glad you guys were able to share this. We're able to discuss all this kind of stuff. Um, it's not our typical fare for a podcast episode, but hopefully maybe there's some nuggets in here. I loved it. Can enjoy. Yeah. So super great. fun. So Fola, so great to have you on. I hope this is the first of many. So, and to our listeners, you know, um, I hope people do take the time. Had you had a good Fourth of July period in rest, if in between the incessant firecrackers and all of that <laughs> was going on. And then we do want to also just give a shout out to let people know that up in the Pacific Northwest, doing with that intense heat and some of the fires and some of the dangers up there that we're thinking of them as well. So we're going to wrap. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to Democracy in Color with Steve Phillips. Please help us get the word out about this podcast by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, sharing with your friends, tweeting at Democracy Color and at Steve P. Tweets, and finding us at Democracy in Color on Facebook. And also signing up for our newsletter at democracyincolor.com, edited by the famous Fola Onifade. Um, we're putting a lot of time and effort and a lot of uh, suggested readings in there. So we really suggest you both read it and share it with your friends um, as well. And if you listen to our podcast on iTunes, please leave us a rating and a comment. This podcast is a Democracy Color production produced by Olivia Parker, support from Charlene Chang, Fola Onifade, and April Elkier. Recorded virtually with the assistance of the podcast studio of San Francisco. Until next time, rest up, read up, enjoy what you're watching, and keep the faith.